I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we're breaking down professional jealousy. Before we dive in, we once again want to plug our new free monthly newsletter, which you can sign up for at the bottom of breakingoutpod.com, which also gets you a bunch of cool free downloads right away as soon as you subscribe. So uh, head on down under. But for the purposes of this episode, let's just get right to it. Christina. Why did the topic of professional jealousy speak to you? This was something that we, I think, tossed around in our trailer episode when we were still deciding what this episode was going to be. And that was the one that you were like, now I feel like I have the most to say about this topic. So why is that? <laughs> well, I think it was very busy over the kind of last week of 2021 with posts like online it was just people were posting all about their accomplishments of the year mm -hmm. and a lot of it was career focused and it was just on my mind I guess is, is <laughs> the point you know and I felt like that's something that we all struggle with a little bit because we're in such a in a world where you have to be like self-promotional in order to catch people's attention because you never really know where like an opportunity is going to come from. So part of it is just like bragging, <laughs> bragging mm -hmm. to people who follow you who are mostly your friends and peers, you know, but it's like making sure that you're top of mind for people. And part of that looks like just flaunting. And that's not really what it is. I think most people are just either really happy and excited and they want to share that or they're being strategic, like I just said, where it is about making sure that you stand out when you need to stand out to who you need to stand out to. But when we're when you're looking at your peers and, and you're maybe not where you want to be or you're there, there where you want to be, it can be hard. And I think that that's something we don't talk about enough as artists and I think is just very relevant in a world where we're living so online over the past two years. Sure. And Shay, friend of the pod, very early on had asked we cover the topic. And I don't think... Oh, I didn't remember that. Yeah, we just kind of never got to it. <laughs> but they had <laughs> had mentioned that that was something they really struggle with. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely... It's also, I think, something unique to our industry, not professional jealousy as a concept, but the way that it manifests because like jealousy is rarely rational. It's almost always a projection of something else. But like what complicates it in the entertainment industry is that like, you know, if we worked at a traditional nine to five, you know, corporate structure, you could be jealous of someone like getting a promotion ahead of you. But like there is a fairly linear path that everyone at this company takes if you mm -hmm. want to like stay at the company and continue moving up. You know what you have to do. You know, you have to hit your sales quotients or, you know, whatever that is, and you will move up. And if like the regular pace of your promotions doesn't seem like the same as somebody else's, then either you're being discriminated against or you literally just have not accomplished the thing. So like it's a very linear, clear cut reason why someone else is doing better than you usually. In film and television and in writing and storytelling, that's not the same thing, you know? There's yep. this weird intermingling of like, it's not only like, ah, shit, that person has a job that I want, or they got a specific opportunity I want, or they have a general opportunity that I would love to someday have myself. A lot of times, especially in, I think, our worst moments, it also becomes a reflection on, like, what are they doing that I'm not mm -hmm. in a way that isn't as easy to measure 
You know, we submitted to all the same contests. They're just better than me, (laughs) you know, and I don't think that that really exists in other, not in the same way, certainly in like non-creative fields where it's not like, oh, this person's getting promoted because they're better than you. This person's getting promoted because they've worked here 10 years and they always hit their sales targets, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And here it's so subjective. Right, exactly. And it's constantly an identity crisis. Yeah, it's so subjective and there, there aren't clear steps to take like, Either you did the thing or you didn't and you've gotten to the next level. It is just so, it's just, it's so subjective and it's so impossible to know what's going into the decision making because there's Mm -hmm. no transparency on that side of things, like why something got selected and, and, you know, I'm sure it's great, but it maybe got selected over something equally great because it was so timely for this particular year or there was nothing else like it mm-hmm. or there was last year when there will be next year. Or the random three underpaid script readers happen to really jive with the specific thing you had written. Right, you right. Know? Yeah, it's so hard to gauge what it is that is giving one person a leg up in any given situation in our industry, whatever, you know, what if it's a contest, if it's a job that... It's hard to, I don't know, it's hard, I think, to just like contextualize what it means for you and your... Mm-hmm. And learn from it and improve. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not as simple as like, oh, they got, you know, they, they have gotten into a writer's room because of like these two things. And if I do those two things this time next year, I will be in a writer's room. Like it's not that simple. And so it's, it becomes this like you go down a rabbit hole where you're like generally just sort of jealous of like, man, I wish I had that career. And then like the more you think about it and the more you try to interpret from your jealousy of this other person or group of people, then, you know, it gets more and more subjective from there. Like, was my writing not good enough? Did I submit to the wrong contest? Did I, you know, like, but there's no ultimately no way to know Mm -hmm. you know what it is that is holding you back when other people are not yeah I think it's also just an industry built on sort of scarcity and competition when there doesn't necessarily need to be because it is like hoarding of wealth and and opportunities giving you know shows to the people who make the same fucking show over and over and over again who just hire their friends and I feel like we've talked about this in a previous episode I don't remember which one it was but I know we talked about you you specifically talked about um maybe it was our career update episode where you were talking about how you Mm -hmm. were up for a staffing opportunity and the showrunner um ended up going with somebody that they already worked with and you were like I can't even really be mad because I would probably also do that yeah and we constantly do that on our own sets right but it does create this weird thing where it's like, but if that boss is the only one getting hired to make new shows, then only the people they already know and like one random lottery winner <laughs> will ever have opportunities. Right. And that's the problem. Exactly. And so obviously there's the rational, like telling yourself that and understanding that intellectually versus how you feel. And mm-hmm. those are two different things. So I do try and tell myself that often like I'm not really competing with that person and they they deserve what they've gotten and I can be happy for them and I can also have that too like that's how the system should be right but I can also feel <laughs> like what about me you know and sometimes mm-hmm. that's human that's that's it's hard not to again because of everything we just said where it's like you have it in your face so much because it's also an industry where you have to share your wins and you're not really going to talk about your losses or your your rejections 
quite as certainly much. not until you're at a point where like those are a cool anecdote right. rather than like a validation of your own failure because right. like if if at our level maybe it depending but like certainly for future things we want to do if at our level we shared you know publicly every screenplay contest rejection every time we didn't get a job like if we shared all of that right now it would be weighted towards i think these girls are delusional they probably shouldn't (laughs) be doing this and that doesn't mean that our rejection pile isn't as big as everyone else's Mm -hmm. but like that's not the that's not what you want to lead with (laughs) when you know that um as we know from screenwriting twitter people are paying attention to your social media accounts and if all you're sharing is your losses like hooray transparency sure but that's not a good look i don't want my failure to be the thing that people associate with me not unless i spin it into my brand and i become like queen of fails and like (laughs) turn that into a huge success which i'm honestly not that interested in so maybe come back to me on that idea (laughs) I try. I do try, you know, when I'm having a lot of wins, like if I'm on the circuit with a film and I'm getting into a lot of festivals and so I'm just like sharing acceptance after acceptance after acceptance, I do try to balance it out by by saying like, okay, but I also got X amount of rejections, but that's easy. But that's in context. It's that's in context, context of success. success. <laughs> exactly. I'm not doing that when I haven't gotten any successes lately because then mm-hmm. I'm just sharing my failure. And I also think, I don't know, I think there's like, could be camaraderie. Like people would chime in and be like, me too. But I try not to dwell too much in rejection because I don't think that that's healthy. Like if I think it, you know, if there was bias involved, I'll talk, I definitely want to sure. talk about that. Or if I'm just like looking for a boost, then maybe I would talk about that. But otherwise, I try to live my life in a way where I don't let it affect my day. And so I think Mm -hmm. putting it out into the world and then getting a bunch of people being like, you're still great, like, don't give up would keep it on my mind. Sure. And also, you know, it's another context matters things where it's like you and I probably share more about our individual failures just privately or to Mm -hmm. groups of closer friends. Um, I I think we're both in a Facebook group that that talks about like festival rejections and stuff like that. But again, that's with a very specific group of people with the sole purpose of kind of keeping tabs on that kind of thing and each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. But like, it's another thing to make your public brand or not even public brand, but just like regularly publicly talking about failure to what end. Mm-hmm. Right. So is there anyone that came to mind when we were talking about the idea of this episode uh, of people who you feel prof- you consider yourself professionally jealous of, you know, strongly or not? Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard because jealousy is a, uh, like a hard word because I have such a negative connotation with it and I don't feel I don't feel like seething jealousy towards anyone right but I definitely have arrogant moments (laughs) with with some people where I'm like I'm just as good at this particular thing as them but I don't have that thing and I'll say like two of them one of them is previous guest and one of them is an (laughs) upcoming guest and they're Kim Garland and Heather Taylor And they're Mm -hmm. two people who are writing for TV in horror. And so, like, that, of course, is something when I see their posts, I'm so happy for them. And they're so deserving of the success that they've had. And also, I'm like, I – so, like, the longer conversation is, like, I want that out of – in a vacuum – but then when I look at their lives around it, I'm like, I don't actually want to do what they're doing to get those specific things. So like, 
there's nothing to be jealous of, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's also you, you can't, both of them, obviously Kim did indie stuff. Did Heather do indie stuff first? Yes. Yeah. Like, did you know them from the indie scene first? Correct. I think that's yeah. also complicated, you know, when like you sort of come up to like, you know, own your voice together at the same level and mm-hmm. then people move forward mm-hmm. in specific ways, like whether or not, you know, it was because they moved to LA or because of, you know, X, Y, and Z still doesn't change the fact that it's like we started together, but now... <laughs> Yeah. And but I think like it's interesting because Heather's someone who is an upcoming guest, so mm-hmm. our listeners don't know her story yet, but she is someone who's very good at sharing her work process on social media. Like her Instagram stories will be her with her note cards on her wall and she's like breaking a new story and blah blah blah. And I'm like sitting cuddling my cat. While I'm looking at her story and I'm like, I don't like I when I have that drive, I'm in it. But she is doing it fucking day and night. At least that's what it looks like from her Instagram. And so I'm like, yeah, like she deserves that more than me because I'm not doing that, you know. And Mm -hmm. and so I think that in some ways, like it's helpful to see like the work, because I think most of the time people only share the success and they're not sharing the work and like the Mm -hmm. hustle and what they're maybe sacrificing. And so I like that she's got that balance because like she's showing you how hard she's working for her success that she's experiencing right now. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's also a matter of like, but you don't know what she's not posting. You don't know if she's literally doing that right now or if this was curated from before. And maybe we'll ask her these questions because I'm always curious about that. Because like for me, if I'm in it, like I'm just in it. I'm not thinking about posting about it. Right. You know, it's not yeah. until afterwards. And and also I'm just not that kind of documenter of my own life. Like mm-hmm. I I'm I'm a social media user to a pretty extreme extent, but like in a very different way. Mm-hmm. I you know it. I tend to only post about like work stuff after it's happened, and that's always a problem because then I'm like, well, shit, I don't have like three pictures that would be really cool to have. <laughs> but I'm not thinking about myself as a brand. I'm thinking of myself as like, I'm updating all of my friends on I wrote a new pilot, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. And like, so that's, people might not think I work hard. And that's something I'm sensitive about. It's like, shit, am I posting on social media enough to justify how hard I'm working? Especially since I'm not getting anywhere. It's like, well, if anyone wonders like why I'm not successful, they just have to look at my Twitter feed and it's just fucking wordles at this point. <laughs> and like <laughs> me retweeting like sassy memes about only getting four at home COVID tests per household. Yeah. So, so like I mean what is this idiot doing? <laughs> right. I mean, I'm also saying, like, as I say this, I'm downplaying how hard I work as well. I just mm-hmm. don't document it and I'm sure. like not up at the crack of dawn doing it. I'm staying up late doing it most of the time. I think, you know, I used to be much more active on social media in terms of like the process because I found Mm -hmm. a certain level of motivation in accountability by being like, I'm going to do a thing and I'm telling the world so I'll follow through on it. I've gotten better at like not needing that. And so then I post less. But I I, I wonder the same as you. Then it's like, does it look like I'm not doing anything then but it's like this is i don't know yeah i mean (laughs) that if that's going to be the difference between us getting like fabulous television jobs and not then like was it worth it Mm -hmm. but like i'm still when i'm at work and i'm having like i'm taking like a break in between doing work stuff um 
even if it's on a weekend, I because my laptop is in a room where if you walk into the room, you can see what I'm doing on my laptop. Like if Quinn comes into the room in the middle of a workday or in the middle of a Saturday where I said I've been working and I'm watching a YouTube video, like just like, you know, in between doing something else, even if I've work, been working the whole time, I will switch tabs guiltily like I've been caught. And it's like, <laughs> I'm fucking 30 years old. This is my fiance. He would probably be thrilled to find me, you know, watching a YouTube video rather than working. Yeah. But like my first impulse is like, no, I must only be seen working because then, you know, other like otherwise, why am I why am I doing? You know, I, I'm a liar. I'm not a, really working. Everyone's going to find out that I'm a fraud. Mm-hmm. And like this is only tangentially related to professional jealousy. But I think it's part of it because like I know the absolute insanity that's going on in my own head. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine that some a, a, amount of that is happening in other people's heads. Mm-hmm. And I'm only seeing the results of their work. I'm not walking in on them while they're watching a YouTube video because they can't be bothered to edit their, you know, their script like they thought they were going to today. Right. And so, you know, in my more self-aware moments, I try to remind myself of like, the handful of people in my life who still have this idea of me as a hyperproductive, very like even keeled person who's just like always working mm-hmm. and remind myself how that doesn't feel true to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you only see me through a certain lens, it might appear true to mm-hmm. people who are not aware. So yeah, in my self-aware moments, I remind myself of that. But I have, you know, depending on the day, fewer of those than others. Mm-hmm. I would say for my part, and because I, as you guys know now, I, I write long notes in our episode descriptions, <laughs> in our episode outlines that Christina usually reads beforehand. I have written a couple of, I have two categories of professional jealousy for me with the same caveat that like, this isn't like a seeding, you know, I stay up at night, like whispering <laughs> their names, like Arya Stark or something. <laughs> but like my, my first category is like my pie in the sky, like people who are like genuinely like extremely successful and established who there is no like semblance of relation to. Um, But I would say like my big three are Mindy Kaling, Rachel Bloom and Brennan Lee Mulligan, because they are three people who have a career that I would love, like a very specific thing that they do, a voice that they have, a genre that they work in that I would also love to do. And I also feel like all three of them, I know their story and all of them came up through not similar means to me, like Brennan Lee Mulligan's mom is a is a sci-fi author and, you know, his, his family was in the arts. Um, but all of them came up through like a combination of like indie work, internet specific work, kind of off kilter, very like voicey stuff that they then got discovered off of. Or like they got connected to someone who saw their like weird little indie things and like mm-hmm. moved them up. You know, like Rachel Bloom was making comedy music videos and like mm-hmm. freelanced for cracked to make like little sketches and stuff and has like a very distinct voice that I I feel is similar to what I want to do. Mindy Kaling is Mindy Kaling. She gets to basically do whatever she wants at this point. Mm -hmm. She has so many shows. She gets to experiment. She gets to act when she wants. She gets to direct when she wants. Like she gets to run her own shows. Right. 
amazing. Of course, you know, who wouldn't want to be Mindy Kaling in, in, in our world? Uh, and then Brenna Lee Mulligan is um, the game master for Dimension 20, which is a, an actual play D&D show that College Humor does. But he also started as a writer at College Humor, a performer. And like he has a very cool, varied career. And all of them had made indie stuff at some point. I think Mindy Kaling never made an indie film, but mm-hmm. did obviously her Matt and Ben play that right. got her her initial acclaim. And so like all of these people had paths that relative to my own feel not unattainable, which makes me feel worse about their success and my relative lack of it. <laughs> that's why they're on my list. That's fair. I guess I don't really like feel jealous of people that are at a level like that because a few things like of course I have I'm I'm fans or I admire people at certain mm-hmm. levels, but most of the people who I who do work that I want to do fit into like three categories. One, they came into the industry when it, it was a very different type of industry where like you could break in in a very different way. Of course sure. it was it was mostly for then like white men, cishet white men primarily, mm-hmm. but it was like a more there was less competition because it was more exclusive, I guess, which doesn't, you know, so it doesn't, it wasn't better. It was only better mm-hmm. if you were a white dude. So, but it's not applicable to me. So it's like, I'm not going to be sure. jealous of that. That's not even like, what is that, you know? And then the other one is they're actors who who are creators. So like, those are the people that are most indie that break in. So like even Mindy Kaling and Rachel Bloom and Issa Rae's and like those types of people, I love them. I can't be them. Like, I can't do what they do. I'm not an actor. And part of why they broke in is because they were this, like, triple threat that Mm -hmm. I'm not. And they had different options for getting discovered in in ways. I mean, but my my thing is, like, I I have acted. I have acted in my two longest. So so I think that's also, like, that's why these are my list. Because they are people who, like, if I could just, you know, (laughs) become an alien slug and take over their life, like, I just would. And I feel like it would be awesome because I would feel fulfilled from what I see from the outside. And I don't feel like any of these people had a particularly, at least to my knowledge, like, you know, over easy time doing it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like none of them, you know, none of them are like Spielberg's daughter. Right. Right. (laughs) That was the other point I was going to make is the other, the third category is of course, just nepotism. They were born into it. They have interesting access I do think that middle category, though, there's a there's wealth there often a lot of the time. Certainly. So, you know, that's something that you can, like, at least feel better about. I mean, and I want to be clear again, like this, I don't whisper their names to myself before I go to sleep at (laughs) night. Like this isn't like every time I see them, I'm like, how dare you? I should have your life. But like, (laughs) you know, if I'm being honest with myself, the people who like and all of these people had success, not like relatively like in their 20s and Mm -hmm. I'm like a week away I'm 10 days away from turning 30 you know Mm -hmm. and I know that's not actually that old but you know I think there's a part of everyone who started wanting to do art early enough that they kind of think "Ooh, I'll I'll do it early you know if I knew when I was 18 that I wanted to do this you know or, or something like that like in the next couple of years, like certainly before I turn 30, I'll make it big. Or if not make it big, like at least I'll have made progress. Mm -hmm. And these are people who did and who didn't have obviously 
the exact same path as me, but had one that is semi comparable. And it wasn't so long ago that it was like, you know, it was the fifties. If you smoked enough cocaine in the right rooms, you got a writer's room job. Like, you know, (laughs) there's, there's enough comparability that it's like, ah, why didn't that happen for me? Sure. So in my darkest hours, these are the people who like I think of and who, you know, if I see them when I'm in the wrong mood, I'm like, I could be you. (laughs) Um, But then like the people that are closer to home are like pretty much every guest we've ever had on this podcast. (laughs) Christina knows that her name is on this list. Uh, Before we were really good friends, I was like very jealous of Christina because of two main things. So the first is like the very shallow, like Christina has a huge, gorgeous body of work. And, you know, it was such a fucking hard path for me to make the little bit of work that I do have. And I have a decent body of work, but you know, the production quality is not nearly as consistent (laughs) as Christina's. And when she and I became closer and like I was becoming more familiar with her work, it was like, God, there's so much work here and it looks so much better than mine. Like I, I would be, I would not be embarrassed to show any of her work. And I am embarrassed sometimes, even of the things that I'm really proud of, especially in context of, you know, these other people. And she doesn't live that far from me and she's not that much older than me. And like, God, I wish I had this body of work. And then the other piece of it, which informs that is that you had a much better team than I did. Not better Mm -hmm. in terms of like, they're more talented, but it was, you had people who were more committed and you had more of them because you went to more traditional film school. So you had people that you were coming up with, which we've talked about in this podcast. I didn't, I met everyone through a writing graduate program and I got lucky that a handful of people in my class had filmmaking experience, but like my network was much smaller. And even the people that I did work with regularly their commitment level was very different than, mm-hmm. you know, starting a company an LLC with in your case. And like, honestly, that was more what I was jealous of than anything, especially as I got to know you it was like, God, I wish I had, <laughs> you know, this support system, mm-hmm. a support system that was willing to work as hard as I know yours does and that you do. And I was like, God, I wish I had that. And again, all of this caveating. I know there are things behind the scenes. I know that there, you know, you probably don't feel like, ah, yes, everyone should be jealous of me in my situation. I am the like icon for indie filmmaking. (laughs) But like, you know, from the outside as learning, you know, like there are things about your life and career so far and your art that I'm like, God, I wish that were me. Insert meme here. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I get, I mean, it's interesting you say that from like, a body of work perspective because of course there are things I'm embarrassed to show from like that I made yesterday you know I think I think it's interesting because I my like the chip on my shoulder is that I have this huge body of work and it can't speak for itself when mm-hmm. someone else comes in and has one short but it has like the right name in it and it has perfect production value because I definitely sure. like cut corners and have, you know, I try, I'm try, I made a feature in crunchy ass snow and like thought that was a good idea for some reason. And so my like sound isn't amazing in Summit and things like that, where it's like someone who had a real budget or, or just like five times my budget and access to names and a camera that like, let's be real as much as we talk about 
it doesn't matter the camera because you can do so much with with color grading and and it's about your how you use it and framing and all of that at the end of the day like a higher end camera if you use it right which is like mm -hmm. the thing because plenty of people use a high-end camera poorly because they don't know what they're doing and then it looks and, bad and i have produced their web series <laughs> and it looks like right. shit. <laughs> but if you use it right just generally is going to look a lot more cinematic than like a DSLR or a cell phone or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so so the point I was making is like someone can make one short and just like get into Sundance and suddenly and ride that wave and to ride, the rest of their right. career. And like and I have made so such this this huge body of work that yeah, some people are like, oh my God, I'm so jealous of you that you've been able to do it and do it and do it. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm still like I haven't had that one big thing. And part of it is because how I've prioritized things. I would rather tell many stories that I'm excited about than put all of my eggs into one story that will be like seven years of my life. Like I'm just, I can't, that's not me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but it comes at the cost of then like having the highest production value in one particular thing that's like a calling card of sorts. I'm more, I'm much more about just like variety and wanting to tell the story I'm passionate about in that moment. And so I would say like I'm jealous of people who I think find their voice sooner in less projects and then like know what they are. And so you're someone like that who I think you've made less, but you know what you want to be doing and what you are doing. And I don't know. So it's like that's why I go back to just – Oh, it's silly. Like, it's silly to be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course it is. And, like, we started this conversation from the perspective of, like, none of this is rational. Right. Like, if it was rational, then nobody would be jealous. Right. So, like, you know, that – but, I like, I think it's important to talk of and be honest about, like, these are some, you know – these are the dark moments mm -hmm. and, and these, this is why, but it is helpful. And hopefully this podcast is helpful, not just specifically this episode, but our whole podcast is helpful in understanding, like somebody looks very successful. What else is going on? Mm -hmm. What did you have to sacrifice? What did you hope that the thing that people are jealous of would do for you? And what did it actually do for you? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of our, our guests who have done really well also still have day jobs. Yeah. that are not just in the traditional film and television world. And even those that do, you know, are constantly hustling and sometimes mm -hmm. working on things that they're maybe not as creatively fulfilled by. Right. And so, you know, the, the when I tweeted about uh, if anyone had questions or comments for this episode, the only response I got was a very good one. Brendan Gallagher on Twitter Brennan Dalliger, I don't know if you actually listen to this podcast, but we are mutuals on Twitter. And I like your Twitter quite a lot. I'd be very curious to know if you're listening to this episode. But he quoted uh, Chris Fife, who is a, a showrunner, um, in response to the prompt, like, professional jealousy. And apparently Chris Fife's quote is, don't look in other people's windows. You can't see everything going on in the house, mm -hmm. which I think is a nice distillation. Yeah. Uh, that's very true. Yeah. And something worth remembering is that, like, you know, from the outside in, not knowing Christina very well... She's made all this work. It all looks great. Like, holy shit, I wish I was her. And then when you get a little closer, it's like, yes, but what did you have to sacrifice to make all of that work? How many sleep nights did you have? You know, how many date nights did you miss out on? How many things did you wish would come from these that didn't? You know, it's mm -hmm. like, it's awesome, you know, what you've done and you still are not fully satisfied. And that's also a part of the picture that when you're looking at someone jealously through no real like filter, you ignore in service of like, yeah, but I still want what you have. Mm -hmm. it's like, well, that's, that's not the whole story. Are you sure you want what I have? Right. I think like, I, you know, 
that's why if I'm going to be jealous of anyone, I, I prefer to focus it on people I actually know because then I can rationalize myself out of the feelings because I can say like, well, I know their, I know things about their, their personal lives that give me context to differentiate myself from. Mm-hmm. I can't do that necessarily with people from afar. I don't know. Like sure. maybe they do have the, the like work-life balance that I am aspiring to have as well. Mm -hmm. And they have, you know, time with their spouse and their pets (laughs) and, and they get to like eat out at restaurants and sleep in as much as they would like that lines up with how much I would like. And so then Mm -hmm. it's like, well, now they have all of the things plus this career thing that I want. So then I'm like, well, that's like that. I'm now I'm comparing myself to, to what I imagine to be like apples to apples, right? It's sure, easier. Like the idealized version of myself. Right. But it's so it's it's easier in a way to to like channel it towards people I know because then I can be like, well, you're just being ridiculous because you don't want these choices that they've made. You don't want mm-hmm. this life that they that they have in these specific ways. Did you used to be jealous of people further flung? Because like this is all a very reasonable take on things. And I'm impressed at your self-control. <laughs> like I don't have that kind of self-control. I mean, I I do because I don't think that professional jealousy rules my life so much as like burnout and general dissatisfaction with my own lot in life unrelated to anyone else. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, is that a conscious like shift that you took? Like in your early 20s, were you much more jealous of further away people or has this always just been kind of your like oh no that's ridiculous to be jealous of them but like you person across from me at coffee <laughs> right now like fuck you <laughs> um I think so I think it's just life experience because I grew up being the poor kid in a middle class suburb and so I was always like the kid with pay less shoes while everyone else had brand name shoes and I, in high school in particular, I, I talked about this in, I think, our first episode that I sold candy for 10 months to pay for a camera that I wanted and a, and a, a MacBook because I wanted to make a feature and edit it. And I didn't know what I was doing. I never finished that feature. But I did sell candy in my school, like, secretly because the school had gotten rid of the... Vending machines. Vending machines. Thank you. They had gotten rid of the vending machines. And so... Anyway, there was a boy who also wanted to be a director in my class and he, his parents just like bought him a camera that was the same, it was a Canon, but it was the higher model than mine. And Mm. he had like basically a whole studio in his house and I felt competitive with him. And whenever I was given the opportunity, I would ask to do a video project instead of like, a PowerPoint or something like that. And mm-hmm. he would do the same. And his was always like so much better than mine from a technical perspective. And, and it would like, it that was like seething jealousy. It was like, why does he, is his so much better? It can't just be that he's better. And like, of course my imposter syndrome would be like, well, he is obviously he's just better. I'm not very good at this. But then, you know, having to really rationalize, like, he was a rich kid. He like lived in a fucking mansion and I had to like raise my cousins after school every day. So I was, I didn't have a, the time to even put into like making the project look that good, but also I didn't have the technical like software and stuff. And so that I think was just kind of like my lived experience of being like the underdog 
in a way sure. from a class perspective. So so that sort of set me up for this world of the industry where it's not just like mm-hmm. one kid in my in my you know local environment, but it's like the entire world around me sure. where I'm I'm comparing myself. It was really in college just starting to see how much class played into who has more advantages directly when it comes to creating art because even as I I knew it I didn't like fully know it I was very naive you know about how much was stacked against me in terms of actually being able to like make it a career it wasn't until I started to really like see the comparisons of just being able to pay for more film when we were shooting in film on film in school you know and and those things and so I've I've grown to this point. So I think those all just kind of like connect to me. I've always kind of been like, I'm not like, I'm not looking in other people's windows because there's no point. Like what would be the mm-hmm. point in in really comparing myself? Because I just know that there's so much I'm not aware of that's helping them. And that may not mm-hmm. always be the case, but my personal class like level in society has changed drastically from what I grew up with and even just like what Mm -hmm. it was five years ago because of my husband's career success and the trajectory of his career and income. And so like I know the advantages I have now that I didn't have five years ago and how much of an impact that has made on my ability to pursue a career and to make work. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like that was a very long-winded way of saying that I think it's – No, but I think it's important. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like a mix of – upbringing and conditioning and also Mm -hmm. growth as well, like conscious growth. Sure. Yeah. I was talking, I think I was talking to you. Was I talking to you about um, how much more mature I feel from the beginning of the pandemic to right now, (laughs) to January, 2022? Because like, I, I think I certainly right before the pandemic started was in like a much weirder place professionally in general and like in my mindset. And like, even just since the pandemic, being forced to be inside watching exclusively, like from the internet, how people are doing and how I'm doing and, you know, all of the bizarreness of these last two years, like, I have gotten a lot better at compartmentalizing and about like, having more self-aware days than not (laughs) of Mm -hmm. like, okay, if I'm being honest with myself, yes, I covet this person's career, this person's accomplishments, this person's whatever. But like, not only could I take a second and realize what they have that I don't, that probably explains it, but also I can be honest about the fact that like, you know, at the beginning of 2020, I hadn't developed a new pilot sample since 2017. And even that pilot sample was only okay at best. And it wasn't until I turned that pilot sample into a web series that it even went anywhere. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, yeah, I want a career. I want my the work that I've already done to speak for itself so I can just start being hired. It does. It is super frustrating that truly so much of our worth is like dependent on us putting up a bunch of effort and capital over and over and over again, making new work, developing new ideas, making it all perfect until it's the right kind of perfect for the right timing. Mm -hmm. And that sucks. Like both of us have made so much great work that 
should speak for itself and we should be able to just sort of wait for the right person to show it to, but that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not realistic. And so I really had to get my ass in gear of like, you can't just sit on what you think is already pretty good. You have to keep working on new stuff. Not only was it just not healthy for me to be as stagnant as I was, but also pushing myself to do more and accept the circumstances of this industry before I give up entirely, at least, led me to write one of the my favorite things that I've ever written. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, I wrote another one of the things that's one of my most favorite things I've ever written. That mm-hmm. one's not very good yet. The first one's very good. This second one, not good at all. But mm-hmm. I had so much fun writing it and coming up with it. And like, I wouldn't have done that if I just sat around waiting for dead on arrival to get me a job, you know? Right. And it's certainly helpful, like kind of bringing this back to the conversation we were having about like people only posting their wins and that kind of stuff is like part of that is having something to be posting about. Like if you're Mm -hmm. not working, if you're just waiting on, you know, your laurels on your uh, literal laurels, on your metaphorical laurels, on your body of work that's already made and available, like you have nothing new to update people with. So like if you're networking, if you're going to coffee, you don't really have anything to say. And so like, yeah, you're jealous of them, but you also have nothing new to update them with. So where is this conversation going to go? How are you going to maintain these connections? And so that was something that like, I had to be honest with myself about that. Like I hadn't been doing, I hadn't been making anything new. (laughs) I think, I think it is about finding sort of a healthy balance because I think competition can also be motivating. It motivates me like seeing someone get better and seeing someone like get to a new level. I'm that's exciting because it's like, Oh, that's possible. And Mm -hmm. I think it's finding that, sweet spot of like that little that twinge of jealousy motivates you to want to get there too and like do what it takes to get there sure and but then you also want to keep the perspective of like okay but sometimes it's not actually possible for you because of what that particular thing is and who that particular person is and like what Mm -hmm. what their context is what access they already have or just what advantage they already have or just the way the system is built that there's only like Mm -hmm. one person who gets that one thing for Mm -hmm. whatever reason and it's like this kind of person and so I think like I don't so for myself I don't turn off looking at other people's stories people who I you know quote unquote I'm jealous of Mm -hmm. I don't ignore looking at the stuff that's going to spark that in me because I I think that spark can be good it can Mm -hmm. be motivating but it's also just like being conscious of when it's too much because if you're having like a bad mental health day where you're feeling particularly pessimistic about yourself your career the world whatever maybe Mm -hmm. that's a day to avoid being on social media and putting yourself in a position to get thrown you know a bunch of success at you that that is in the realm of what you want and you have nothing going on. Yeah, don't don't use it as an excuse to punish yourself. Like if it's going to motivate you, great. And like, you know, keep mm-hmm. that that spark, but if if you're looking at something like because you know it's going to be hurtful to see somebody's success, what in whatever way, you know, that manifests in professional success, health success, relationship success, then like that's a form of self-harm. And like the psychologists Mm -hmm. have talked about it in terms of that is like when you seek out information, you know, is going to upset you because you're already in a dark place and you're like, yeah, I want to really rub it in. Like that is a form of like psychological self-harm and don't do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not always as simple as we'll just don't do that. But like 
certainly part of being in this industry is having to train the muscle of like knowing the difference in your own mood and being honest with yourself about why you're looking right now and why you aren't. And maybe only letting stuff come to you or curating your feed so that you're only looking at it when you're in the right headspace and you're Mm -hmm. not actively seeking it out in weird places. And I would also say that like, Something that we've touched on, not just in this episode, but in a lot of episodes of our podcast is the thing that Christina brings up a lot, which is being realistic with yourself about like, I have priorities that are separate from my professional life. Mm -hmm. And I need to be honest with myself that it is not productive to be jealous of people who are willing to do stuff I'm not. Like Mm -hmm. for the longest time, I was obsessed with having a YouTube career not because by the end of it, I wanted to be on YouTube, but because of the opportunities I saw YouTubers who seemed as personable as me and as good at editing videos as me getting, you know, mm-hmm. but if I'm being realistic with myself, I don't want to dedicate the time it takes to have a YouTube career, to make content that regularly, to like make myself the content. I don't want to do that. So why would I be jealous of YouTubers <laughs> if I'm not willing to be a YouTuber? Like, Mm -hmm. I can't just think like, oh, I wish I had their career. Yes, I will be famous on YouTube tomorrow. Like, that's unrealistic. If I want to work towards that, if I want to study their path, sure. Eventually, like, I will earn that jealousy. But like, yeah, I've I've come to a point where I'm like, I feel like I have to earn the jealousy. Yeah. And if you're jealous of someone that you're close to, remember that it's not about you, especially when like they're having a successful moment. Like a uh, friend of the pod and former guest, Brandy Nicole Payne, is uh, officially a TV staff writer. Very, very yes. exciting stuff. Congrats, We're so excited Brandy. for her. Um, I <laughs> I got brunch with her not long ago, uh, right before she started her room. Uh, and it was a room that she was the writer's assistant for the season beforehand. And like, you know, there were points in that conversation where it took every bit of energy to not just like pester her with questions about exactly how she got that job and who did she talk to and could she get me a job? But Mm -hmm. I didn't because it's not fucking about me. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Am I disappointed that I am not in her position that we're not having brunch together and both celebrating a huge career win? Yeah, of course it sucks. Cause like, I'm definitely not where I want to be right now, Mm -hmm. but I also am. If I take a second and a deep breath, genuinely so fucking excited for her she has worked so hard she is so talented she is so tenacious like she absolutely 100 deserves this i can't wait to see what she does next and reminding myself to focus on that aspect genuinely does make me less jealous because that becomes like a much lesser emotion mm-hmm. and sometimes it's about like replacing an emotion rather than just trying to suppress emo- an emotion entirely right. so that's something that i have found helpful is like especially for people that you love and respect and are a little bit jealous of (laughs) replace the jealousy or at least try to override the jealousy or balance out the jealousy with how hopefully genuinely excited and ecstatic you are for them and all that they are going to get to do next. Not in a selfish way of like, Ooh, if I seem nice, maybe they'll get me a job. Like people can fucking sniff that out. Be genuinely excited for them for the sake of both of your relationship and mental health and leave it at that. I cannot recommend that enough. Yeah, absolutely. I think also it's it's hard because some people maybe really are not satisfied with any aspect of their life at the moment. So that can be hard. And I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like we both talk about our relationships frequently enough that maybe it like annoys some people who don't have that and want that 
or, or maybe people that are just like shut up like i don't care um but, but they well, like, you should get your own podcast listen to the last episode make your own podcast and be completely <laughs> devoid of any sort of happiness and joy that's fine right, right. love that for you <laughs> but for me I also, to your earlier question, have gotten better at not comparing and not like looking in other people's houses because I'm genuinely just like satisfied with my own in a in a foundational way, which like is maybe not helpful if you're like I like I said earlier, maybe, you know, you're going through a rough patch in all areas and that can be hard and I've been there, but looking at like what you're grateful for, looking at what parts of your life are going in a way that you either hoped or planned or just like came out of nowhere where you're happy about. Yeah, they're working out. And so I think that like that helps me because I'm like back to priorities. Like, yeah, I don't have exactly what I want or I'm not where I exactly plan to be at this point career-wise, but I have these things in my life that I'm so grateful for and I'm so happy to have. And I'm so like, I wouldn't trade a career, like career success in for. I think that is like really important is thinking about what you wouldn't trade that you have. Because like we've been saying, most people are sacrificing something to get wherever they are and and it may not be like you know an entire relationship or having a pet like Brianna you were you were talking off pot about getting a dog and it's like mm-hmm. that's a responsibility and someone who's like bi-coastal maybe and is is like pursuing different careers because I have a friend who's bi-coastal and she's like killing it on both coasts but she doesn't have pets she doesn't have responsibilities that like you know, that are beyond kind of her keep own her, well-being. Right. And that like tie her to a specific place. And I wouldn't give that up for anything, you know, to have mm-hmm. my cats. Like they bring me so much joy. And so that those are things that I think help, like help you contextualize just the the, the pieces that you think are missing make if you really focus on the pieces that aren't. And I also think it's important to remember it, when it comes to professional jealousy that like professional is not the only part of your life that matters. And I think that that's something that gets really out of proportion for especially like artistic people, because Mm -hmm. like, you know, in film, TV, art, more than any other career kind, I would say it's, it's not just a career, it's a calling, you know, most people are not in this because it's a paycheck. Yeah, exactly. And I think that sometimes people can get so focused on that, that they forget to have a life. Mm -hmm. And that was something that by the end of 2021, and I think I probably talked about this in burnout that I was starting to really start to notice the effects of is like, I don't want to live a life constantly wishing for a different life. I don't want to waste my life. And I think you talked about this too, Christina, like we don't want to waste our life waiting for a different life to start. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to stop being ambitious and pursuing things that I do really want. Mm -hmm. But like, if that's the only thing I'm focused on, if that consumes me, then what an awful, wretched existence that would be. And so, you know, I'm lucky uh, as Christina that I have a, you know, wonderful romantic relationship at home tremendously helpful to me just on every level he cooks most of my meals it's great i think that's yeah. the same in your household it too is, right yeah. we, we both got boys that cook yeah, it's awesome love to cook. 
Um, but like, you know, I, there, there are a lot of things in my life that, you know, it's not even about trading that I just, regardless of where my career is at, I am so grateful for, you know, completely separate from my career. I am grateful for where I am in a lot of ways. You know, I have wonderful friends. I have things that I do that I enjoy doing with people that I enjoy doing them with. I like, I love my new apartment. Like there are so many things that I am grateful for. And that helps put in perspective, like, yeah, I'm not where I want to be in my career. Yeah, I don't want to be working the things that I'm currently working. But also, that's just one part of my life. Right. And, you know, sometimes your life needs a little more maintenance on non-professional things. And right. yes, that might set behind your professional stuff, but it's probably for the best. Mm-hmm. You know, fill your cup before you fill others. Fill your personal cup before you fill your professional one. Like, you have to have something to give to your calling in order for you to, like, answer the call. <laughs> right. <laughs> if we want to use the metaphor. Think, yeah, that's something that I'm constantly working on, and especially over the last two years, is trying to not define myself by the like passion that I have as a career Mm -hmm. like that I can be something other than a filmmaker you know it's the two things that I think are hard early on when people would ask me what I do and I would say like oh I'm a filmmaker they would be like oh what do you really do though because that's not a real like a a thing that's not a real job or they would be like have I seen any of your work and I'm like no you haven't so then they're like okay so you're not really a filmmaker (laughs) you know so I think part of the early on part of my like chip on my shoulder was to prove that it mm-hmm. is a is like a real tangible career and that's what I am and now I'm like trying to go in the opposite direction of letting go of that need to legitimize my passion in like a capitalist society <laughs> do you sure. know what I mean mm-hmm. and so because the last thing I want to do also is like lose the thing that brings me joy, which is like telling stories and make it all about just like a means to an end, you know, having right. a job and surviving in this capitalist mm-hmm. society. And so it's trying to find that middle ground. And that's part of why I've also been off of social media lately more because I've been trying to exist outside of just my brand as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm kind of like, well, I don't even know what to post if it's not going to be branding, you know, and I can't just have stories all day of my cat sleeping on the couch. I mean, I could, but you could, I could. Yeah. But, you know, do what brings you joy. Don't do what you think will build your brand. I'm still finding that balance. And so I've kind of pulled back to do more introspection and to work on figuring out what it is I actually want my life to look like on my career front, because it's the hard thing about filmmaking for me is that it's not a solitary art like sure it's not I I can write a screenplay but it doesn't feel finished it doesn't feel like I've done the thing I haven't made the art until it Mm -hmm. exists as a film and so I have this feeling of it being incomplete but then making it a film is so much work and I have to raise money and I have to get all these people involved and that's so hard when I don't have funding and and resources and so it's not like and there's a pandemic that makes right, everything pandemic, 10 yeah. times harder and more unsafe. Right. And so like if, I, if I'm jealous of anyone, I would say it's often people who have a passion for a specific art that they can do all by themselves mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because they can feel a sense of like completion without having to 
make it like profitable and marketable and Mm -hmm. fundable, you know? You need more non-monetizable hobbies, Christina. I do, but I think like it goes back to the thing that I so enjoy is being on set and making a thing with people and it's uh, trying to like maintain that feeling of this is a fun collaborative project not not that it has to be like the thing that pays my bills for the rest of the year because that's just so hard to achieve in the system as it currently exists and there's no Mm -hmm. point in like being jealous of the small one percent of people that are able to do that because really like I don't know anyone back to something you said earlier most people have most people who don't come from money and and you know, access to the industry, they have full-time jobs. And so like most people mm-hmm. are not actually sustaining themselves on mm-hmm. their art. Quote unquote, on... living the dream. Right. And and so there's no point in like being jealous of the 1% that are doing that because they're doing it through something that's just not at all attainable for me. Mm-hmm. Unless like yeah. I won the lottery, which I don't even right. play the lottery. And, yeah. So. It's like you shouldn't, <laughs> you, you can't get jealous of lottery winners the same way that you can't get jealous of Charlie bit your finger, you know, (laughs) like virality and lottery wins are so random. And like, you know, no matter how many startups try to like quantify and put that in a bottle, like you make us a viral marketing campaign, you know, like Mm -hmm. people who don't understand will always, you know, start to make us doubt ourselves about like, oh yeah, we should just be able to like reverse engineer it. But like, Nothing in the film industry can be reverse engineered, even as many case studies as we present to you all in our interviews and as granular as we get, like there is contradictions in it. You know, advice Mm -hmm. that Kim gives about getting into writer's rooms is in many ways the opposite of of advice that Kira in a couple of episodes will give about getting into writer's rooms. And neither of them are wrong. They're both 100 percent correct. And I think that in some ways that's actually very helpful to me. Like it's frustrating, Mm -hmm. but it's helpful at the same time Mm -hmm. because it's like at least I know that I haven't made a mistake. Right. You've been authentic to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to feel like I've made a mistake in my career. I mean, I'm sure I've made many mistakes in general, but like, you know, it, it sometimes film careers are presented as like you have to make X number of correct decisions and then you are in, you know, like right. there's a checklist. And if you mess it up, then you set yourself back five years. But like nothing is as clear cut as that. And it's helpful to hear how many different ways people succeed in ways that I hope to succeed eventually. Uh, and and feel comfort in the fact that like, I have not precluded myself, you know, I have not pre-canceled myself. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I think, it. you know, it just, we live in a society, the industry is a reflection of society at large. And so we, the people that are celebrated are these people that often already had a way in or already like making it. So it's like, oh, breakout star, ones to watch. And it's always people that have like either been hustling for like 15 years, but they're being presented as an overnight success or Mm -hmm. they're people who had, you know, access already. It's like the Forbes articles that are like self-made millionaires yeah. and it's yeah. like Kylie Jenner is the first self-made billionaire like yeah. okay yeah right yep. and so Kylie Jenner one uh, single she is an island and she made it herself uh-huh right and so you have to I think it society like is just constantly gaslighting us yeah. a lot of well, the time I mean true success defies a simple narrative mm-hmm. and that's not what anyone wants and we have to get over that. 
there is no simplicity, you know, and and as much as it often annoys me whenever like one of those Forbes 30 under 30 lists come out, everyone's like, where is the Forbes 50 over 50? Like I, every single, Everyone, you know, yeah. person with a stick up their butt, like right, <laughs> post that. And I'm like, I agree, but please be quiet yeah. because you're also being annoying. But like, they're not wrong. Yeah, and like, yeah. there are plenty of examples of people who found, you know, incredibly fulfilling careers later in life. Alan Rickman, as an example. And, uh, you know, I don't know Alan Rickman's life story, but it sounded like he wasn't fully miserable. And then he was 53 and got a cool job <laughs> and everything was peaches from there. <laughs> like, right. I'm sure that also happens. But like, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to decouple my like sense of time being wasted or productive from my particular contentment in my own professional progress. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's related to, but distinct from decoupling my identity from my productivity. Mm -hmm. They're part of the same toxic capitalist patriarchal worldview, but mm -hmm. like they're, they're the solutions to the problems are slightly different. And yeah, that's, that's just like a thing that I'm sure I'll work on for the rest of my life, but is something that I'm at least much more conscious of now is mm -hmm. trying to like remind myself when I catch myself spiraling, you know, and I will say to just like round it out at the end of 2021, Christina and I were in pretty dark places. And yeah. I don't think we were subtle about that in our episodes <laughs> towards the end of last season. And I'll yeah. say for me, it's been a frustrating start to the year for a lot of reasons, but it's also been a really great reset especially getting, you know, a couple of weeks off of, of, of work. And I'm feeling much more hopeful. I'm feeling much better. I wrote a new script in the time, the time since we talked last and we, the Royal, we of our podcast audience <laughs> and I really like it. And I had fun doing it and it reminded me again, why I am doing all of this work <laughs> because I like writing silly little stories and I I enjoy that process and I enjoy sharing them. And I, I have a very long email to get to after this from my other podcast co-host, Christine, who recently read one of my other pilots and gave me a ton of notes. And I am mm. so excited to dig into them because she hadn't read this pilot yet. And she's the last person that I need to read it. And I can't wait for her to rip it apart so I can build it up better. And I'm trying to focus my energy on the things about this lifestyle that excite me. But before I get to those notes, I'm going to go have dinner with my fiance and we're going to chat and maybe watch some TikToks that are silly. And we're just going to have a nice Friday night. And that is enough. I don't have the professional career that I want right now, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Not because I am enlightened, but because it has to be because I would rather be okay <laughs> than have this constant, you know, weight on me. So choosing to be okay isn't always that simple, but it's something I'm trying to do more consciously and more regularly. That's great. Well, and we hope that our, our, our vulnerability and our candidness is, if not helpful, makes you at least feel like there's some solidarity. And I think we both are committed to continuing to be open and vulnerable. And in the spirit of vulnerability, I we're running out of... <laughs> solo episode idea. So please recommend upcoming episodes, whether you want us to go deep on uh, maybe more ethereal topic like this or like our imposter syndrome episode from season one, or whether you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Feelings, feelings, feelings. Teach me about X. 
So whatever yeah. X is or whatever feelings, feelings, feelings happens to be, please get in touch at Breaking Out Pod on Twitter and Instagram or Breaking Out of Breaking In Podcast at gmail.com. That's right. Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them are in our episode description. And thank you to our booby VIPs, who are our $10 supporters on Patreon, including Kim Garland, Amanda Blunt, Anthony Epp, Kelsey Rauber, Norman Steinberg, Jerry Maravilla, and Brandy Nicole Payne. If you want your name on that list and or to have access to our bonus resources related to each and every episode, you can subscribe for as little as $3 to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. Or join our free newsletter where we share a new creative prompt each month. And next episode, we'll be discussing directing TV movies with special guest Pratna Mohan. Be sure to tune in.